Hey guys, it's Joe Wolverton, Teacher of Liberty, back with you again. I'm so excited, and I just want to say, I really am excited. I hope that comes across, that I'm not just like trying to pretend. I really enjoy doing this. It's the closest thing I have to being able to reach out and teach. I mean, I teach classes via Zoom. Yes, that's true. But when those classes aren't going on, like in the summertime, then this is a great thing to do, and I'll keep doing this. And I'm so grateful. I think we're sitting at about 670 uh, subscribers right now. So please keep sharing this. Please tell people about it. Um, but, you know, also, guys, I want to have a dialogue with y'all. It's, it's nearly impossible in this way to, to have a dialogue. But would you please do me the favor of commenting? You can comment and say, hey, I liked what you did in this episode. I didn't like what you talked about in this episode. Questions about something I said or, Joey, I don't like this about the podcast. I do like this about the podcast. Let's just have that comment. You know, you don't need to put on your to-do list, but just take a couple of seconds to, you know, let me know what you're thinking, either about the content of that particular video or just in general about the podcast, what you like, what you don't like, all of that kind of stuff. If you would just do me that favor, that way I can feel like we're building a, you know, a relationship, a community, a little group of us, just this little group of us. I don't care. Now, if we get to a thousand, some of y'all that have read the show notes all the way to the bottom, which I know that's quite the endeavor that you might have to put that on your to-do list. But you know that there's something special happening at a thousand subscribers. A little something, Joey. You got a little something planned for the people. Um, so please comment. Let me know what you like, what you don't like. Questions about the the episode, anything like that. I mean, just you know, let's just have a conversation as much as this medium will allow us to have a conversation. Uh, you know, I don't fancy myself some sort of expert podcaster. And just now when I said that word, it gave me the same feeling I get when I say influencer or, or moist. I get that same anyway. So y'all can tell me and, and I can take it. Say, you know, I love that you talked about a commonplace book. I'm using my comment. Whatever. Give me the, your quote, give me your comment about the Commonplace Book quotation of that day. Let's, let's have some back and forth, guys, please. That will make things so much nicer for all of us because then I'll know, like, if I need to make changes in this, I'll know if something is, you really enjoy something, I'll know that I'm not just talking to the ether, which, you know, it makes me a little crazy because sometimes I'm like, is anyone... I mean, I know it says, oh, you have so many views, but is anyone really watching? Or is it more like you turn it on? Because I don't know how long you have to watch it for it to count as a view. I, I don't. It could be five seconds for all I know. But the point is, if y'all are commenting, I am definitely going to talk back to you. And we can develop a sort of little community, just a, a select group of, you know, Basically, very important people is what I'm trying to get at. So, you know, spread the word and let's uh, let's get let's get this growing, because guys, and I mean this with all the sincerity of my heart, that it, I truly believe 
that if we can get these principles spread enough through enough people who maybe, especially you guys who are just becoming parents, we can have for the first time in over 200 years a generation of children raised from the cradle knowing these principles that our founding fathers knew. And if we can do that, I honestly believe not only do we have a shot to restore our liberty, to restore the Union back to the constitutional foundation upon which it was built, but I believe we will do it. I believe we will. But the, the issue is, can we get these can we get these principles spread out? Because very few schools, I mean, I teach online to homeschool groups mostly because there aren't a lot of schools that let me teach this stuff. And today, you're going to hear one of these lessons that you will never hear in school and it will be really obvious why. And yeah, so we got to get these spread. It's up to you and me and I'm doing what I can. And y'all do what you can, comment back, let's get that going, and let's develop this relationship, and let's get this stuff spread out. I don't, I don't, you know, need it for me as such, you know, I don't, yeah, I'd be happy, you know, that enough people are listening to these things, but I don't look at it as some sort of accomplishment that I'll be like, oh, I have... 700 subscribers there's people 7 billion or I don't know million subscribers so it's not that I just want to develop this core group and I want to make sure we get everybody who's going to be able to help us in restoring liberty because we can do it and today we're going to talk about one of the main influences on our founding fathers but first let's go to our commonplace book quotation shall we all right here we go so you remember the deal right you write this down in your commonplace book. You write what, what impressions you get from it, how you interpret this, how you think it applies to us, to you, what you think the author was trying to say, what was his point in saying it, whatever. Impressions, inspirations, all of the things, interpretations, whatever you get from this, write it underneath the quotation, okay? So today's commonplace book quotation brought to you by absolutely nobody. All right. That which is not just is not law. And that which is not law ought not to be obeyed. So you can pause me and I'll read it one more time and then you can pause me. That which is not just is not law. And that which is not law ought not to be obeyed. Put that in your commonplace book. Pause me right now if you need to. Okay. So, who said that? Who was the author of the commonplace book quotation for today? None other than Algernon Sidney. I could just, fire, I don't know, fireworks? I don't know, music. Algernon Sidney. Anybody who knows me, you know that Algernon Sidney is my hero. Okay, outside of Jesus, 
which he is so far and above everybody else, but of mortal men, there is no one that I admire, respect, and revere more than Algernon Sidney. And if you come to my house, it would be very obvious to you because I have a picture of Algernon Sidney. I have way too many copies of his books. I have way too many papers about him. No! False. You can never have too many books and papers about Algernon Sidney. Almost caught you. You were like, oh, that's, yeah, you shouldn't have so many. False. Okay? False. Now, but I know that many of you don't know him. And maybe this is the first time. Put that in the comment, man. Joey, I've never heard of Algernon. And it's not flowers for Algernon. This is not that Algernon. This is a real person, not a guy in a book. Algernon Sidney. And you can put that in the comments. I've never heard of him before. I had somebody say that. He's like, Algernon Sidney was difficult for me to get through, but you recommended him or whatever. And I plowed through and it's, you know, one of my favorite books now, which that, do you know what that does? Now that, it just fires me up because now I have a brother in arms, someone that knows the deal, right? With why Algernon Sidney is who he is. Uh, but some of you don't know him, so I'm going to talk about, I, would t- I could talk, I think I probably do. If I'm like, I could talk about him every day. Now that I think about it, I probably do talk about it. All right, so I d- it's very difficult for me to talk about him. I, I don't mean that there isn't enough to say. There's, there's so much to say. Like we could have a, a year-long class on one of his books. I, I'm not kidding. It, we definitely could, you know. Um, but I don't want to drink downstream. I don't want you to drink downstream. I want to drink from the delicious source, right? Right from the sweet rotter. Just, you know, right there out of something on the Nature Channel. Just, you know, dipping down and out of the delicious source. And so I'm going to do what another one of my heroes said. You know, um, James Madison said, If it has been remarked that the biography of an author must be the history of his writings. So that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to let Algernon... Sydney tell you about Algernon Sydney by reading Algernon Sydney's words, if that makes sense. Wow, that was a lot of saying his name. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a bio, but then after that, we're going to talk about the incredible books he re- wrote, uh, and we're going to talk about, and it, what may seem strange, we're going to talk about the end of his life, right? The middle and all of that, and actually dive into the books, those will be later videos. But for this video, I'm going to talk about mainly about one of the books he wrote, okay? Uh, A little bit about another one. And I'm going to talk about how the writing of that book ended up costing him his life. He wrote a book that got him killed. Okay? That's, uh, That's really insane when you think about it, but... We'll get to it, and yes, that's what happened to him. And um, all right, so he was born in 1623, died in 1683. Uh, he was born into a noble family, aristocratic, but he wasn't the oldest son, so he didn't stand to inherit much. And typically, 
you know, that second son, you know, you know how they say you got an heir and a spare. That that second son devotes himself to intellectual pursuits and stuff like that. Um, he his mom doted on him like you might imagine. Uh, she died much too young. Um, Algernon and his father had a really good relationship up to a certain point, to the point where the the king was restored. You know, they, they executed a king for treason. They had a little time that it was a, a republic, and then uh, the king's son was put back on the throne. And Algernon's dad couldn't understand why his son wouldn't just play ball with the king, just make nice with the king and stay alive. But Algernon was true to his principles. He lived and suffered while he lived because of his principles, and he died standing up for his principles. And that caused a rift between he and his dad that sadly was never healed. They Although he was, you know, it was because he was on the run in Europe because the king, the one that was restored, you know, the old king's son, the, the king that had his head lopped off, his son that got put back on the throne because people just enjoy tyranny. It's so much easier than freedom, right? And so when they put the son, the son's like, yeah, we're going to kill a bunch of people that helped my dad get executed. Well, Algernon didn't participate directly in that but of course he you know he agreed that when there's a tyrant you know you got some things you got to do and um so the second king charles ii would send hit squad i'm not kidding hit squads so algernon stayed on the run in europe and the king would send hit squads out to try three times that we know of he was, there was an assassination attempt on Algernon Sidney. I mean, that's insane. So he stays on the run so many years of his adult life. Well, the reason he ends up coming home to England is because his dad is very ill, and he needs to help his dad wrap up his father's business and stuff like that because his other brother just, you know, useless. And so he comes home to take care of his dad, but that rift between he and his dad never never really healed now he grew up in a huge mansion i mean it mansion doesn't even start doesn't even start describing what this place is called penshurst place in kent england which is just a little southeast of london and here it is this is the home where algernon sydney lived and died penshurst place um by the time algernon was born his family had lived there for couple hundred years at least uh there it is now this is the the little book that they give you if you go to Penshurst. that they won't give you they sell you uh yeah i just tell you all about it if you are a fan of so that's there you go Penshurst place i'll shut up and show it to you if you're a fan of princess bride so the scene where you know my name is inigo montoya you kill my father prepare to die the big you know fight scene Near the end, that was filmed at Penshurst. Um, part of the movie, Elizabeth, the one, um, I can't remember her name, Blanchett, Kate Blanchett, part of that was filmed at Penshurst. And so if you go there, you can they tell you, oh, this movie was filmed here, this movie was filmed here, whatever. That's Penshurst Place. That's where he was born and raised. 
and on the playground is where he spent most of his days. No, that was the Fresh Prince, and he wasn't a prince, right? We already talked about that. But he was aristocratic. He did grow up in Penshurst. Penshurst is still there. Otherwise, how would they have a cool picture? Penshurst is still very much there, and guess what? The Sydney family still lives in that house. Now, I've lived in England. I, I don't know, maybe many of you have traveled to England, and you know that having a house uh, you know, like this, a palace practically, that the um, noble family still lives in is very rare because the upkeep on these things is is crazy i mean you got a house built in the you know some of the the 1500s the one part in the 1300s so we're looking at it, it's kind of hard to keep up on a house like that so it's very rare that the family can afford it because you're not really getting a lot of money just for being an aristocrat you got to have a job nowadays right and you you do have people that donate and the government does give money to a little bit of money to the Sydney family to help them keep up the house. But guys, Algernon, now Algernon didn't have a wife or any children. We'll get to that in another video, which was another way of him. It's crazy living his principles. But anyway, so it's his brother's family that still lives there. Like the 11th, whatever, great, or whatever they call it, grandnephew, great grandnephew, still lives in Penshurst Place. Like still, like, this is that they live there in the same places where Algernon Sydney lived. It blows my mind. Now I will tell you. So a few years ago, I'll tell you a funny story. Let other people tell you it's funny, Joey. All right, maybe you won't think it's funny, but I think it's funny, and it's more than funny. It's awesome. So relax. Oh, let me have a beverage. Hold on, I need a beverage. And you, if you don't know by now, whenever I have a beverage, that's a sign for you to also enjoy a beverage. So today's cup brought to you by the Lodge Factory in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee. So there you go. Um, I was teaching a class about Algernon Sydney, which I teach all my classes about Algernon Sydney, and I was talking about it, and I was showing him the website that Penshurst has, right? Penshurst has a website because you can go and visit. It's a popular place to have weddings. That That's one of their main, I guess, sources of income is people want to get married there because it's very, you know, it looks like what you think. Uh, an aristocratic palace would look like that. It looks like that on the inside and the outside too, all the great gardens and everything. So I was showing them the website, you know, flipping around the old pictures, as you will, you know, at the gallery. And one of the students is like, oh, check it out. It has a contact me. And so we clicked on it and it was like the typical stuff, an email address, info at whatever. And um, one of those, contact us or send us a message. It was those text box, you know, you fill in your name. But it also had a phone number. Now, those of you who know me, you know, well, that I'm going to call it. So I called it. Now, it was 1 p.m. in Arizona. So it was about 9 p.m. In, in London, in England. And they live right, it's right outside London. So it was 9 p.m. I didn't think, you know, anybody would, like, answer the phone. You know, I figured it would be a, you know, like some kind of answering service. And it was. And the good thing is, so even though it wasn't someone live, the kids got to hear it because I put my phone on speaker. And I think we even put it on a Bluetooth speaker that I had. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I had a Bluetooth speaker, and it was a really nice Bluetooth speaker. And so the kids got to hear a British accent, which made them all happy. You know, I don't know what it is, particularly about girls and British accents, 
But seriously, y'all, calm down. Calm down with the, he's British, he's luscious. If he were, like, American, you'd be like, mm, a three at best. All of a sudden, you got a British accent? Nine. Makes no sense. But, so we got to hear the voicemail, and, you know, I left a message saying, hey, this is Joe Wolverton, I'm teaching a class about Algernon Sydney. just wanted to talk to someone that lived in his house, and anyway... So I left my email address and my phone number, and I could not believe it. The next day, Lord Sidney's personal secretary emailed me back. Now, his official title is not Lord Sidney. Sidney's his last name. But you know how they have titles that are different than their last name? So his official title, I think, is Lord Delisle. Uh, or maybe the Viscount Delisle, I can't remember, something Delisle is their, like, you know, the landed name, but his real last name is Sydney, just like Algernon Sydney. And the personal, she emailed me back, guys. She's like, the Lord Sydney is, is tickled that a group of American kids wanted to know about Penshurst, and she was just like, thank you so much for reaching out to us, and, you know, that very something... Very British and polite, like, um, let one know if one can help one, what, what. You know, that kind of thing. Cheerio. No, they don't say cheerio, but you know what I mean. It's like, uh, yes, thank you ever so much, ever so kind. You know, something, um, what's that, what was that show called? I can't remember. Anyway, there was a show, remember how they had about the, like, British aristocracy. But anywho, so, now, you also know, if you know me, that I'm never going to hesitate to shoot my shot. The difference between living a life full of joy and a life full of regret is 10 seconds of courage. So I emailed her back and I said, you know, it'd be really, if he's so tickled, you know, it'd be lovely is for my class and Lord Sidney to have a live Skype session together live from Penshurst. And we're sitting here in the desert in Arizona. Why don't we do that? And lo and behold, the secretary gets back in touch with me and says, he would love to. What? Like, I really, guys, okay. I really thought that it was going to be like calling, you know, and the fact that she emailed me back was shocking to me. Like, really was. I was like, full on giddy. But then I thought, that's going to be the end of it. You know, that that's, that's really cool. And I still have the email because it means that much to me. And I sent them a copy of my, uh, of my the books I'd written, and uh, they sent me this book, and they sent another one for the class. I don't know who ended up with it, actually. Maybe they sent us three. I don't know, but I kept one, and I don't know what happened to the other ones. But to have him say, or to have his secretary say, yeah, we'll, we'll have a Skype session with you, I was completely giddy, just so thrilled. So, we end up having the Skype session. It was on a Friday because the school that, where I taught was Monday through Thursday. So, on Friday morning in Arizona, and it was the afternoon in Penshurst, we had a live Skype session. I hooked the iPad up to the projector, and, so they, and then we put a chair like in front of the iPad camera. So, someone, if they wanted to ask a one-on-one question, they could sit in the chair. Otherwise, you know, 
he could see the whole class. And I remember extra, I, we invited everybody. So it was way more than just my class. There were parents and other teachers that were like, what? And so, yeah, we had this great session. Now, uh, Lord Sidney is an older gentleman. So most of the time, you know, he greeted us and thank you so much. And, but, you know, Skype, not really, didn't have it kind of dialed in. This is in the days before Zoom, by the way. That's why I'm saying Skype because um, it was Skype. So he let his son handle most of it for us. And there his son is sitting in Penzer's place. Like Algernon said he could have been sitting in that room someday. I was like, whoa. Well, his son is named Philip, and he's much younger. And he was so kind, and we had a very long Skype session with him. And to the point where, honestly, he teared up because he's like, we have a high school two miles away, you know, there in, in Kent. And he's like, they don't get in touch with us. They don't come over here, you know. And here we have this small, very small high school in Arizona with kids that care about Algernon Sydney, you know. And he was very touched. And, in fact... Uh, Philip and I became friends. We're we're still friends to this day. We text each other. We keep up with each other. And I ended up being friends with Algernon Sidney's 11th great nephew or grandnephew, whatever it's called. And, and for those of you who pray or whatever you do, you know, to send positive vibes out into the universe, pray for your boy because we want to get funding to make an Algernon Sydney biopic, and Philip is going to give us permission to actually film it at Penshurst. So if you would pray or chant or, I don't know, whatever y'all do that brings positive stuff to a brother, if you can please do that for me, I'd be so grateful because nobody, I mean, this guy's story deserves to be told by, you know, good actors who can show you what a, an amazing life he he really led. And so anyway, that's Penshurst. That's the story of how there's a, you know, a bunch of kids from Arizona who ended up, you know, having that experience because, yeah, I thought, you know, why not? Why not ask? You, you know, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So take a shot. Um, all right, back to Algernon. Some people call him Uncle Algie. I call him, myself, I call him Colonel Sidney. Uh, he was a colonel in the English Army. Um, and me being raised by a guy who was a career soldier, just the way, you know, if, uh, just a sign of respect, I call him uh, Colonel Sidney. Uh, so, and we'll, I'll have so many videos about him. Don't think this is the only thing you're going to hear about him. Um, but today, I want to most, like I said earlier, you're like, Joey, if we ask you what time it is, you tell us what how the clock works, dude. I know, but that's just that's just me. Roll with me, man. Roll with me. So I'm gonna tell you about Colonel Sidney, aka Algernon Sidney, aka Uncle Algie, and I'm gonna tell you about how this book not only got him killed, but it was the book that our founding fathers read that helped summon within them the courage to take up arms against a tyrant, against an army, they were outnumbered and outgunned, 
But this is one of those books that all of the Varsity Squad founding fathers were like, that's the book. In fact, it has been called the handbook of the American Revolution. All right? So uh, the founding fathers, it was something they all loved. And I actually, uh, part of Thomas Jefferson's library is now at the Library of Congress. Right? So they took part of it from Monticello, put it at the Library of Congress. And I actually have a picture of the copy of this book owned by Thomas Jefferson, if you can believe that. The book owned, the one that Thomas Jefferson read. So I'm going to let the Founding Fathers tell you a little bit about this book. And this book is called Dum -da -da -dum, Discourses Concerning Government called Discourses for short, but Discourses Concerning Government. This is my original copy. You could probably tell because it is jacked up seven ways to Sunday. Um, I will tell you that Liberty Fund, who prints this version, they there's a little picture of Colonel Sidney right there. They um, are so nice and so good, Discourses Concerning Government that when I got this one, it didn't have a dust jacket, but it was supposed to. And I wrote, or I emailed them and said, hey, my, thing, my book didn't have a dust jacket. And they not only sent me a dust jacket, they sent me an extra copy of the book. So it, Liberty Fund, get these books from there. Get, not sponsored, wish we were, but we're not. But get, get the, this, if you're going to buy this, and we're going to, I'm going to talk about lots of guys in these video, in these podcasts, lots of guys, get the books from Liberty Fund. They're honestly... They're the best. So I'm going to let the Founding Fathers tell you a little bit about what they thought about discourses concerning government because it means a little bit more than if Joey says what he thinks about discourses because, frankly, I found out about discourses concerning government through studying what the Founding Fathers were talking about and quoting and everything. So Thomas Jefferson said, Discourses concerning government is the best elementary book of the principles of government as founded in natural right, which has ever been published in any language. And it is much desired in such a government as ours that it should be put into the hands of our youth as soon as their minds are sufficiently matured for that branch of study. So elementary is discourse concerning government in talking about natural rights and a free republic that Jefferson said, as soon as kids are old enough to read, we should shove one of these in their hands. Now, you, you'll, you can start to see. If we want to be like them, we got to be like them. That means our kids don't sit in front of an iPad watching Baby Einstein or whatever y'all do nowadays. You read to this kid, and that's how we're going to, you know, that's how you're going to separate, right? Not everybody's called to do the same thing, but if you got people that are reading discourses to their kids, I mean, come on. And Jefferson was serious about it being the best book on that subject in any language ever written. Because when he and James Madison uh, established the University of Virginia, and they made a list of books that they said that any young man, because Back then, young women didn't go to college. Any young man that wanted to attend the University of Virginia, he had to have read these things, and I bet you can't guess what one. There were only four, and one of the four, Platow, Discourses Concerning Government. 
by Algernon Sidney. Um, when Thomas Jefferson was asked what uh, authors he looked to for inspiration in writing the Declaration of Independence. So he writes it, and some of the people at the time are like, mm, I can, you know, you kind of not plagiarize, but you took that pretty, pretty well. from." And so they said, who, what books did you consult? And he said this, all its authority, meaning the Declaration of Independence, all its authority rests on the harmonizing sentiments of the day, whether expressed in conversation, in letters, printed essay, or the elementary books of public right, such as Aristotle, Cicero, Locke, and Sidney. So, one of the, if you read this book, the Declaration of Independence, the whole War for Independence, the Constitution, all of it makes a lot more sense once you read this. Okay? And you see how he called it, an, again, he's like, elementary book? Guys, we can make discourses elementary again. We can do that. We can make it where our youth get exposed to this early where we do put it into the hands of our young men and young women as soon as they're able to to read something you know put that in their hands make discourses elementary again how about that that's i don't know it doesn't make just m d e a medea now medea i love me some medea so maybe that'll help me remember it make discourses elementary again medea Medea might come on and she be and she would, you know, I don't think she would read it, but she might make you read it or maybe beat you over the head with it if you misbehaved, if you acted ugly. All right. So, now I'm going to read you some of these fire absolutely blowtorch of liberty quotations from discourses and he wrote another book before discourses, but believe it or not, the founding fathers didn't know about this. This is court maxims that he wrote before he wrote Discourses, but this book was unknown to the Founding Fathers. It wasn't discovered until the 80s when a professor was searching around through an old uh, Castle's library in England, and he found a manuscript rolled up in a leather, and guess what it was? It was a book by Algernon Sidney called Court Maxims, which is also straight fire. Which, oh my goodness, it's like take discourses and boil it down just to the, you know, just to the, you know, very essence. That's court maxims. But you got, yeah. So anyway, these two books. But discourses is the book that got him killed. Discourses is the book that our founding fathers read that inspired them to not only live well, but be willing to die well as well. All right. So let's get to some of these fire quotations. You ready? All right. Number one. He that has virtue and power to save a people never lacks the right of doing it. No wise man ever asked by what authority Lucius Brutus, Poplicola, Horatius, Valerius, Marcus Brutus, Cassius, by what authority they delivered their country from tyrants. Their actions carried in themselves their own justification, and their virtues will, forever, will never be forgotten while the names of Greece and Rome are remembered in the world. Well, what authority do you have to get rid of the tyrant? 
because he's a tyrant. And that's all the authority I need. All right, another one. Tis ill that men should kill one another in seditions, tumults, and war, but it's worse to bring nations to such misery, weakness, and baseness as to have neither the strength nor the courage to fight for anything, to have nothing left worth defending, to give the name of peace to desolation. So what's worse than us fighting each other? Um, not having the courage to fight for what's right? That's worse than us fighting each other. Of not having anything, no principles, nothing left worth defending. That's way worse than us fighting each other's having nothing left worth to defend. All right, next. If kings will neither judge nor be judged, and there be no power sufficient to redress their private or public injuries, every man has a recourse to force, as if he lived in the woods where there is no law. And that force is always fatal to those who provoke it. No guards can preserve a hated prince from the vengeance of one resolute hand. Wrongs will be done, and when they that do them cannot or will not be judged publicly, then the injured people become judges in their own case and executioners of their own sentence. I get, you kind of see the trajectory here, yeah? Yet all the best men did join in the work that was then to be done, though they knew it would prove imperfect. The sacred history, he means the Bible, is not without examples of this kind. When Ahab subverted the law, set up false witnesses, and corrupt judges to destroy the innocent, when he killed the prophets and established idolatry, his house must then have been cut off, and his blood licked up by dogs. When matters are brought to this pass, the decision is easy. The question is only whether the punishment of crimes will fall upon one or a few persons who are guilty of them, the tyrants, or upon a whole innocent nation. Whosoever, therefore, like Nimrod, grounds his pretensions of right on usurpation and tyranny, declares himself a usurper and a tyrant, and he is an enemy to God and man, and he has no rights at all. Whoever therefore assumes to himself any such tyrannical power renders himself an enemy to mankind and obliges all that are friends to reason and justice to destroy such a monster who has the shape of a man but nothing else of humanity. I, I think you get the point. You kind of see why you're not going to get taught that in school. Kind of see why he got killed by a king for what he said. Believe it or not, guys, I mean, 
He's just, I mean, he's just saying it, right? And that's one of the things. Our founding fathers were raised on this book. It was written a hundred years before the Declaration of Independence. They knew that God himself does not force you to obey even his perfect will. So if a man tries to force you to obey his imperfect will, you have a right and an obligation to refuse to obey. And like he says, peaceably at first, forcefully if necessary. This is the message that our fathers were given. God is the giver of your liberty. You cannot let some man take from you what God gave you. So Sidney never finished discourses. It's not, you're like, 600 pages and he didn't finish? He didn't finish it. He had the manuscript in his room, one of his rooms there, in his study in Penshurst, just in a drawer, and he'd actually send out letter to friends and said, I'm going to send you, I'm working on this manuscript, I'm going to send it to you eventually, and then whatever you guys think of it, if you want me to publish it, I will, or... If it's rubbish and you want me to burn it, I will. Whatever, I'll just do that. So one of these so-called friends ended up accusing Sidney of participating in a plot to kill the king, so the, the king's son, you know, Charles II, to kill the king and his brother. It was called the Rye House Plot. Now, there is absolute, the evidence against Sidney, if, if it were today and you wanted to accuse somebody of being a part of it, the evidence they had against him, no district attorney in America would take that case. No, they'd be like, no way. That is the most, the flimsiest of evidence, right? And the guy, one of the guys who, the main one who said, oh yeah, he was there. And man, he's, I remember Algernon was like, you know what we should do after lunch? What, Algy? Kill the king and his brother. Oh. <gasps> That's terrible. Tell us more. No, one of those guys owed Algernon money, and the king's, you know, lawyers and representatives made a deal. Look, you rat on Algernon, maybe you don't owe him any money because he won't be alive. So maybe you, you know, maybe you tell us what he did. You remember him being there. So the guy, yes, obviously rolls over on Algernon and oh the the Rye House plot by the way is the re and we'll get to it another time but the Rye House plot is the reason I don't like John Locke and and John Locke you know why don't even ask you know why so Algernon Sidney was put in prison and because of suspicion of this put in prison in the Tower of London you can go there and see that today, too, the prison where he was held. Um, and the king sent people over to his house to ransack his house, see what they could find, you know, because he was going to be charged with treason. Because, according to this guy, Algernon was there plotting to kill the king and his son, or his brother, sorry, to kill the king and his brother. So he was charged with treason, so the guards went over to his house ransacked his house, found a pile of papers in his study, 
brought it back to the king as evidence of his guilt. So Sidney was charged with treason, he was formally arrested, and he was held in prison for six months. If you've ever been to the Tower of London, six days is way too long. Now, the charge, treason. To be found guilty of treason in England in, in 1683 is the, the statute then is the one our founding fathers borrowed to make our statute, Article 3, Section 4, of what you have to have be, you know, what evidence you have to have to be considered guilty of treason. So the same thing pretty much was back then. And it was you had to have two or more witnesses to an overt act. In other words, not to something you'd said or written, but something that you had done that towards overthrowing the government or killing the king or something like that. Some act that forwarded that, some overt act, right? Something you actually did toward accomplishing the goal of killing the king or overthrowing the government. And you had to have two witnesses to that overt act. Now, there weren't two witnesses to that because it didn't happen. You had the one ginned up guy who was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Uh, Algy was there. He... He had a whole book. He had a flip book, and it was all like really crude animation of the king, stick figure, and then some guy going like this. No. He had, they had one witness. They didn't have another one. So one of the king's lawyers said, we have this stack of stuff, these papers that we found in his office at his house. Um, we've read some of it. He, he's not in favor of kings at all. We could use that as a witness. Now, that had never been done before. And of course, that is not what the law anticipates. A, a witness, a book can't be a witness. Because you can't cross-examine a book. So, discourses, you claim that people have the right to kill tyrants. Your Honor, order... Order this witness to answer my questions. Um, you're ordered to answer his questions. Discourses. Tell us. Sidney wrote you, right? Your Honor, hold the book in contempt. No, you know what I'm saying. You can't have a book be a witness, and it takes two witnesses to an overt act, and writing something ain't an overt act. Lots of people write stuff in their journals and stuff that they never would intend to do. Right? It's a way to get out, but not that Sidney never backed down from what he wrote. Never backed down from what he wrote. But the king, knowing that he couldn't just outright ignore the law, he couldn't just say, yeah, one is enough. He's like, yes, um, let's use the book, what, what. But it wasn't really a book at that time. It was just a stack of papers. And discourses was among them. Maybe not even the whole book. We don't know. But there were portions that were read in court. That um, there were portions of it read in court that make it obvious that yes, it was part of it was um, part of it was definitely uh, what do you call it? Um, from taken from discourses. Okay, so we know we know that for sure. Um, anyway, so 
He goes to trial on these trumped up charges and it's the craziest trial ever. The craziest trial ever. Um, if you read, you can read today, you can read the actual transcript. They have it. If you go online, the trial of Algernon Sidney, you can read the transcript and it will blow your mind how poorly he was treated. He was told he didn't get to have, he's like, what am I formally charged with? It's not important. What well, kind of is important? Why am I in jail? Yeah, it's not important. It actually is. It's called habeas corpus, right? And he said, look, and Algernon's standing there saying, the law's not being followed. And the judge's like, you're not a lawyer. Don't lecture me on the law. And he's like, I'm not lecturing you on the law, but the law says there have to be two witnesses. And the judge's like, there are. There's that dude and there's that book. And Algernon says, how can a, a book be a witness? That's something I wrote. And he's like, I assume I wrote because they didn't even let him look at the papers and say, yeah, that's my. Nope. Didn't even let him look at him. The king was that thirsty for Algernon Sidney's blood. They didn't tell him what he was charged with officially. They did not require two witnesses. They didn't let him look at the papers. Right. And then finally, Algernon says, "It. how can writing something be counted as a as a act toward overthrowing the government and the judge made a famous statement he said to write is to act so anything you've ever written that means you're gonna do that thing you're planning to do that thing so in the trial he literally had no chance of defending himself and i i don't want you to take this because he's my hero and you're like joey come on read go online Read the transcript of the trial, and you will be like, holy cow. Like, you know, even if you hated the guy, you'd be like, mm, that's a little, you know, that's a little unfair. That trial, that trial was not good. All right. Um, so I think what we're going to do is we're going to pause the video here. And I basically am going to tell you about so we did the quotations from discourses. I hope you found them as absolutely fire. Go back and watch them. Write them in your commonplace book, guys. Because you can pause and be like, Nurr. do that. Pause me. Write those down. Order discourses from libertyfund.org. Do yourselves a solid. Read those things. Read them to your kids. Make discourses elementary again. And I'm going to come back and I'm going to actually take the transcript of the trial and some a couple of things that Algernon Sidney wrote like right before they killed him and I'm going to share those things with you in his own words so that you can feel the power of his principles how he would not back down where he got them from why he was willing to die for them so I'm going to pause in the video right here and then we will I'll come right back and we'll share the trial with you, okay? The trial and the things he wrote right before he died, okay? All right, guys, we'll see you in just a minute. Don't go anywhere. Don't go. Just pause me. I hope I didn't look weird when I paused that just then. But anyway, just pause me. I'll be right back. Okay, guys, I'm back. And we're going to talk about the trial and the execution 
of Algernon Sydney. I hope you got all that other stuff uh, recorded in your commonplace book. I just wanted to get the kind of separate those two things because this um, is something that when I talk about, I, I tend to get a bit emotional uh, because of the respect and love I have for Algernon Sydney, and then because frankly, um, what was done to him was was wrong and um, so wrong. And I'm not, a, I don't get emotional very easily. So I'm, you know, uh, we'll see. We'll see how I am. So they had the trial and the king, he was found guilty by a jury. Now the jury was packed because you were supposed to be a landholder. Like you were supposed to own land free and clear to be able to serve on a jury. No, nope. Didn't check with them. And when he said that to the judge the judge got really angry and he's like now you're questioning these good people he's like I'm not questioning them I'm questioning did you you know do this legally and you'll read the trial transcripts and you'll be like what the what so he's found guilty which uh, okay how who knows but I wanted to read to you from the trial transcript the uh, the sentence. So the judge gave him the maximum sentence, as you might imagine. And here's the sentence, and pardon the part that's graphic. Therefore, the judgment of this court is that you be carried hence to the place from whence you came, meaning the prison, and from thence you shall be drawn upon a hurdle to the place of execution where you shall be hanged by the neck and being alive cut down your private members shall be cut off and burned in front of your face your head then severed from your body and your body divided into four quarters and they be disposed at the pleasure of the king and may God have mercy upon your soul And then Colonel Sidney said, Then, O God, I beseech thee to sanctify these sufferings unto me, and impute not my blood to my country, nor the city through which I am to be drawn. Let no inquisition be made for it. But if any, and the shedding of blood that is innocent must be revenged, let the weight of it fall upon those that maliciously persecute me for righteousness sake. And he said this looking at the three judges, but mainly at the main judge. So if there's to be any vengeance, let it be upon those people. And the judge then says, I pray that God works in you a temper fit to go into the other world, for I see that you are not fit for this one. Meaning, you're, you don't have the right attitude. You're too, you're nervous, you're crazy. And at this point, Algernon Sidney did one of those things that sealed his fate as one of the greatest martyrs in the cause of liberty. When the judge says, I, you should settle down I hope you settle down in the next life because you're, you know, you're not fit for this life. You just calm down. 
Algernon Sidney extends his arm to the judge and says, Feel my pulse. I bless God that I was never in a better temper than I am now. In other words, feel my pulse. I've never been calmer than I am right now. Feel my pulse. You, you think I'm nervous looking at you? You think I'm nervous you're sentenced to me to death? Let's see if I'm nervous. Feel my pulse. That's the steel. That's the kind of man that we need. That's the kind of man our men our founding fathers were because they had examples like Algernon Sidney. And you know, guys, to be real honest with you, Algernon Sidney and that judge and all of us will face the same God. And when I think about that, I think, you know, and how that judge treated Algernon, the two of them standing in front of the same God, the same God who said, vengeance is mine and I will repay. So I'm not I'm not worried about Algernon Sidney you know, getting what was rightfully owed him in the eternities. I'm not worried about that. So on December 7th, 1683, Algernon Sidney was taken to the scaffold on Tower Hill. If you go there today, the scaffold is no longer there, but they do have where it was. It's a cobble, little square, and, um, and they have a plaque with the name of everybody that was executed there, and there you can see Colonel Sidney's name. There was just a small crowd that morning, very cold, December 7th, 1683, and I have a, every year we have a Sydney Memorial on December 7th, and never, never fail, we have it, even last year when I was almost dead of double pneumonia, we had it. So, 61 years old, he, almost 61, just days from being 61, Algernon climbed the stairs to the scaffold. Oh, just before he was to be executed, the king reduced his sentence because the king had heard that there was some iffy stuff in the trial and he did not want there to be any sort of uprising when it got published that the judge had thrown the book at him, had imposed the maximum sentence. So the king wrote a memo to the judge saying, uh, just cut his head off. Don't do the other stuff. Just cut his head off. And the judge was so angry and sent an angry letter back to the king. But the king, yeah, so ultimately he was only, only beheaded. Um, so there was only a small crowd. He was led up the stairs. The executioner asked him if he wanted to say a prayer. He said a short prayer, which witnesses say was very brief. And <clears throat> Algernon said that he had, he was uh, at peace with God and had nothing left to say to any earthly judge. 
um, and just told the executioner to get on about your business. Um, so he's, the executioner said, do you have any last words? And Sidney said, no. But he handed him a piece of paper that was folded up. That was his message, essentially his last message to the world. But he wanted it read, not on the scaffold, but read later, right? And, of course, the the, the sheriff, you know, the guy who, you know, technically ordered the execution, he got a copy. It was even addressed to the sheriff. And then uh, Sidney's lone friend in attendance got a copy as well. And it ended up being published very soon thereafter. Um, so Algernon kneeled down, extended his head, and he was executed for treason. Um, he was, he is buried at the private family part of the uh, graveyard there at Penshurst Place. That's his final resting place. Um, I want to read to you now, you know, the uh, beyond feel my pulse at the trial. Can you just imagine the judge in a, in, a, in a courtroom today? You need to calm down, sir. And he's like, feel my pulse. As calm as I will ever be. I'm fine. Because he knew. I'm fixing to fixing to give my life for the for freedom yeah I think God will be fine with that I think I'll be okay only one of us one of the two of us has something to worry about in that regard but I want to read to you from two things one the letter that he wrote to you know the sheriff the one on the scaffold and then also something he wrote the night before he was executed called the apology of Algernon Sidney now Apology does not mean then what it means today. Apology meant a defense. In Greek, it means a defense. So he's kind of explaining his principles and why he was willing to die for them. And he says, Being ready to die under an accusation of many crimes, I thought fit to leave this as a testimony to the world that as I had from my youth endeavored to uphold the rights of mankind, the laws of this land, against corrupt principles and arbitrary power, I do now willingly lay down my life for the same, and having a sure witness within me that God does absol absolve me, and he will uphold me in the utmost extremities, and I am very little solicitous, though man doth con condemn me. In other words, man can do what he wants, but I'm I have a, a sure witness, he says, that God absolves me. So let me uh, read. Let's see. Yeah, read this next bit here of the apology. So remember the defense, right? This is that same thing he wrote the night before he was executed. And when he says England, why don't you substitute America, okay? I believe that the people of God in England have in these late years generally grown faint 
some through fear, have defected from the integrity of their principles. Some have too deeply plunged themselves in worldly cares, and so as they might enjoy their trades and their wealth, they have less regarded the treasure that is laid up in heaven. But I think there are very many who have kept their garments unspotted and hope that God will deliver them and the nation for their sakes. God will not suffer this land where the gospel has of late flourished more than in any other part of the world to become a slave of the world. He will not suffer it to be made a land of graven images. He will stir up witnesses of the truth and in his own time spirit his people to stand up for his cause and deliver them. I live in this belief and am now about to die in it and I know that my Redeemer lives. I He will stir up witnesses of the truth in his own time. And those witnesses will stand up for his cause and deliver this people. All right. Um, now I'm going to read to you from the letter that he handed to the sheriff on the scaffold. And we will, this will be the, the last thing for the Sydney video. The Algernon Sydney video. All right, so this is from the letter that he handed to the sheriff right before he was executed. It may be expected that I should say some great matters to you, but the rigors of the season and the infirmity of my age, increased by a close imprisonment of above five months, do not permit me. Moreover, we live in an age where truth passes for treason. And then, speaking of the men who participated in his unlawful trial and the king who ordered it, Colonel Sidney ends his mortal life with these words that are sadly still appropriate over 300 years later. Lord, forgive their practices and avert the evils that threaten the nation from them, meaning those tyrants. Lord, sanctify these my sufferings unto me, and though I fall as a sacrifice unto the idols, suffer not idolatry to be established in this land. Bless thy people and save them. Defend thine own cause and those that defend it. Stir up those that are faint. Direct those that are willing. Confirm those that waver. And give wisdom and integrity to all. Order all things so as most redound unto thine own glory.
Grant that I may die glorifying thee for all thy mercies, and that at the last thou hast permitted me to be singled out as a witness of thy truth, and for that old cause which I was from my youth engaged, and for which thou hast often and wonderfully declared thyself. Amen, Colonel Sidney. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.